Well, hello there, friends and strangers. Welcome to the Raised by Whoops Fake Radio Show. This is Andrew, one of the two hosts of this program. The other guy, Clint, at this very moment, is in Canada playing hockey with a puck made from frozen maple syrup. Lately, Glenn's been on a kick of interviewing white dudes from the tropical climes of Ohio. I got no complaints. In fact, I was so inspired by his Ohio-based inquiries, I thought I'd do my part and bring you a conversation with another guy from the Buckeye State, my new friend, Jim O'Connor. Jim, along with a PhD in cognitive psychology, is also Dean Emeritus at Turo University's Center for Innovative Learning and Teaching. He's been a lifelong educator, a traveler, scuba diver, and an all-around fun person to know. He's also recently decided to add the title of voiceover professional to his list of skills. I think you'll be able to tell why that's a good fit. I like Jim's style, and I like Jim. And I'm glad we got the chance to hang out. We met up in his current hometown of Vallejo, California, to eat lunch, then record this little chat in the living room of my old traveling van. Before I move on, I'd like to mention we are actively soliciting ratings and reviews on the various podcast platforms. So if you enjoy what you hear, tell somebody at Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to fake radio. Also, if you're just dying to know how your ass would look in a pair of Raised by Whoops undies, answer is only a click away. Just click that capitalism tab at raisedbywhoops.com and check out the mugs, t-shirts, stickers, and of course those logo-laden skivvies. All right, on with the show with my new pal and yours, Dr. Jim O'Connor. There was a man who had a wife that he could never satisfy. And so he built a great big wheel, and on it he mounted a big prick of steel with two brass balls filled with cream, and the whole damn thing was run by steam. And around and around went that big friggin' wheel, in and out went that big prick of steel, in and out, in and out, until she cried, Enough, enough, I'm satisfied. And then she died. <laughs> Everybody likes a story with a happy ending. Happy ending, yeah. <laughs> but he likes happy endings. Thank you, Jim, man. I'm uh, welcome to the van. I'm glad to be here with you on Mare Island. This is exciting. Tell, just real quick, uh, for people who don't know, where are we? What is this place? Uh, this is Mare Island. It's part of Vallejo. Uh, it's an island that is separated from Vallejo by uh, Mare Island Strait, which is uh, the Napa River that uh, is flowing into uh, San Pablo Bay. Where Are we near the confluence of the Sacramento? Where's the Sacramento in relation uh, to us? It is uh, south of us. Uh, the Sacramento River comes under the Carquinas Bridge okay. and uh, flows into... Uh, so you can take the ferry from Vallejo uh, down Mare Island Straits, and you will see to your left the Sacramento River coming in. Okay. Underneath the Carquinas Bridge. It's a cool area. I've never been here. I've always just kind of traveled through on my way, you know, either to like... Very historical. This is the first military, first uh, naval base in the Pacific. Yeah. Admiral Farragut was the, uh, uh, in charge of this base. What year do you think that was? Like... Uh, well, the, there's a hospital, uh, complex down there that, uh, Turo University now owns. 
And the hospital was built during Abraham Lincoln's uh, uh, presidency. So it goes back to at least 1840, I would say. Wow. Yeah, this is a pretty great, pretty great place, man. Yeah. You, you lucked out. My and, dad uh, was stationed here during World War II, so he used to always tell stories about it. Yeah. And then when I got a chance to get a job here, it was just so uh, amazing. So what's that job? What are you doing? Uh, I'm uh, Dean Emeritus of the College of Education and Health Sciences at uh, Turo. I'm a professor, and uh, right now I'm director of the Center for Innovative Learning and Teaching. Innovative Learning and Teaching. Yeah. That's a good broad brush. Uh, innovations in medical technologies, what, uh, what sort of... Okay, so I oversee the Clinical Skills Center, okay. the uh, Simulation Center, where we bring in all these different simulators. Uh, we just started a new immersive technology learning center where we're using virtual reality and augmented reality, and then uh, the media production studio. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. You have it full access to that? Yep, oh, absolutely. That's yeah, That's pretty great. I, I work with a great team there. And so that's part of your your uh, current work life. Yeah. Uh, now t the reason you and I know each other now is a whole other part of your working life. Yep. Uh, you're a professional uh Voiceover. Would you say voice actor or just voiceover professional, or how do you? Uh, those are the two terms that are used: uh, yeah. voiceover professional and voice actor. Mm -hmm. So either one is fine. And you, uh, you, know, you were telling me earlier, you're you're focused largely on doing narration, uh, what e-learning and. Uh, well, I'm planning on doing audio books this year and audio tours, mm -hmm. but you know I've done characters, I've done uh, medical narration corporate narration, mm -hmm. uh, commercials. I, I really like to do narration for like documentaries and things like that. Yeah. You've got, I mean, obviously, it's funny, people always like, oh, you've got the voice for this sort of thing. And I'm just now learning how much more there is to it than just the tone of your voice. That's you know, the, a very small part of it. Such a small part of it. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's actually a huge business. I mean, yeah. everything from, you know, when you... Uh, call somewhere and they say, uh, you know, press one to right. reach the pharmacy. Yeah, that's all voice actors. Press nine if you've given up entirely. Yeah, to throw yourself off the bridge. Exactly. You've been on hold for an hour. Yeah. I, what I keep getting, uh, it's been said to me multiple times. Hey, stop doing that voice. Don't do the voice that I, you think I want you to do. Just, just give me your regular voice. Yeah. And I, you don't, I don't realize I'm doing it. And I can hear it in my classmates. People will try to get on some sort of, you know. Really work on their tone. Yeah. No, the, the, the whole thing now is authenticity. Just, yeah, yeah. Conversational. Yeah. Which is, it's funny to try to, to tr you know, it's like when someone says, try to relax. You know? Yeah. It's like just act naturally. You know, those, those types of things that sound impossible, you know. Yeah, and I, I think I you saw in class the other day that uh, now I'm starting out my reads by going, I don't care. Yeah. Because uh, if you get in your head and you're stressed out, uh, you're not going to be conversational. Right, right. And I, I, I like that, the whole idea of a, a lead-in. The thing I'm enjoying most about what we're doing now, because I'm in the very beginning stages, you're three years into this, yeah. are now a professional in this field. But that we're literally breaking down the idea of a narrative in these scripts, interpreting 
it's one thing to, to try to reproduce or to give a performance, but to interpret and break down the narrative arc of a six-second radio spot is it's, it's great. It's amazing. Uh, I think the most important class I've ever had is script analysis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, just the... It touches on a thing I like. It's just you know people telling stories, which I think is just a cool, cool thing in general. Yeah. But it, it's showing how intricately tied to story we are as a thing. Even the way we are convinced to buy something or believe in something or or yeah. navigate a thing is hinged around this like three part story arc, you know, problem solution ending. Yeah. You know, like with the prick of steel, you know, there's a problem. She can't be satisfied. <laughs> prick of steel shows up, runs by steam solution. You know, <laughs> that, you know, that whole, that narrative arc is like such a important thing to, to pay attention to. And then to the thing I'm looking forward to understanding deeper and being able to do is then perform that in a way that gives the intention of the writer or whoever's, you know, trying to get their thing across you're interpreting in a way that they feel comfortable with. That's yeah. And of course, uh, most important is who's your audience. Right. And what do you want them to feel Yes, after they've heard whatever you're reading? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I don't want to get totally bogged down into the world of voice acting and voiceover because it, it's interesting to me, but, you know. It's interesting you, but, to me too. Yeah. yeah it's great. And, and I, it's so funny. People, I don't know that people necessarily think of how much they encounter it in their lives, it's ubiquitous. I mean, it's just all over your life. Completely ubiquitous. Yeah. Uh, every commercial, yeah. every, you know. Every announcement at the airport. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And how often it will happen to you in a show that you're watching and you don't realize, you know, if it's like someone's conscience or if it's, you know, even one of the actors who's in the, you know, in the actual production, they'll voice over lines they flubbed yep. or, you know, if their back is turned. Yep. And there's just so much of it. Uh, it's a it's a cool cool field. I, I, I've had one experience with it, sort of quasi professionally. I was um, was hired. Uh, I think I mentioned to you earlier. I used to work in the uh, environmental field, and I, yeah. I was putting together this like sort of environmental awareness thing, <laughs> like an event at a symphony orchestra, hmm. and the the orchestra had hired this guy who who went to different orchestras around the world and would. Uh, project these images in the background as you know set to a certain piece of music pieces mm. of music and it was all these beautiful pieces of uh like whatever country he was in for here obviously it was the united states you know, beautiful national parks and he, he asked me if i would narrate john muir quotes under that so there's like this beautiful orchestral arrangement and my dumbass i was like you know 27 years old i get up there <laughs> like long hair trying not to sweat through my suit you know and his only note was just please slow down just slow uh, yeah. down uh, uh, if you think you're going too slow dial it one notch back and you'll be good he made me practice it with the orchestra and you can just see the oboe players like fuck i gotta play that phrase again and finally when i when i gave the performance it worked and i just felt like i was dragging through these poems you know just and he was like it was perfect he did good. it perfectly it's like, thank you that's my. That's been my only experience with it, other than doing this type of yeah, thing. Yeah. That um, I don't know. It, it it feels possible. Like there's a possibility to make some kind of income or 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 living out of this. Yeah, I think the uh, you know you you don't realize how complex it is, yeah. and you know there's the technical aspect of it, right. which is mic technique, 
recording, editing. But then there's the business aspect of it where you have to market yourself. Yeah. Try to find agents. Uh, you know, there's a course that they offer at Voice One called Auditioning is the Job. Yeah. And that's what you're doing all the time. You're auditioning. Yeah. And, uh, and so uh, I would say the most challenging part for me is the marketing. Yeah. You know. Putting yourself out there. Putting yourself every... out there, letting everybody know you're a voice actor, yeah. trying to make as many connections as you can, getting on people's rosters yeah. that are, uh, you know, producing videos or e-learning. And you've, you're coming at this from a very, like academia is fairly stable. You know, you've got a role to play. Yeah. You do a thing and that, you know, you show up there. How, how long have you been in academia? Well, I started teaching high school in 1969. Uh, I taught at a community college beginning in 82. I got my doctoral degree in 86. So I've been a professor at five different universities. Wow. Yeah. You've been at it a long time. Yeah. Doctor. Should I have, should I have been calling you Dr. Jim this whole time? Please. I don't... Uh, I don't ask anybody to do that. Okay. I don't ask anybody to call me dean or professor. Yeah. I would prefer to be called Jim. Fair enough. And, you know, um, you would mentioned about a stable role uh, in education. I come from, uh, to education from a different philosophy, and it's based on uh, the work of Carl Rogers, who was the father of client-centered psychotherapy and student-centered teaching. Huh. So I try, as a professor, I'm always trying to make things student-centered. Right. I am another learner. Uh, we usually sit in circles. Uh, I, tr I try to empower others. That's and, uh, uh, you know, the most important communication skill that I use is listening. Yes. And then oftentimes reflecting things back or restating things back to people. I've I had a weird moment in my life where I realized what school was. I was I was kind of young, but I, I realized it wasn't about specifically learning math or, you know, history or, or science. They were teaching you how to learn, how to take in information from the world internalize it and then function with it as part of your vocabulary of human beingness you know yeah. and that idea of the the professor or the teacher or the instructor being as interested in learning and listening that that seems entirely instructive to me that like you're watching someone demonstrate how to learn yeah i think that's a really cool approach i, I like that yeah you know the, one of the great things about being uh, a teacher is that it's a lifelong learning experience. I yeah. always walk away learning as much as my students do. Yeah. I also heard somebody say, or maybe I read this, it was like, uh, the best way to understand a thing is to have to break it down for a slow and dim-witted pupil. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't really don't understand something until you can explain it to someone else. Totally. Totally. Yeah, which leads me to realize I don't understand almost anything. <laughs> and, you know, uh, I'll go back to when I used to assist in surgery. The, uh, the motto was, see one, do one, teach one. Hmm. And so, uh, you know, teaching, teaching 
demonstrates you really have that knowledge locked yeah. out. Well, so let's go back to that. You you told me earlier you had been you were one of the very first physicians assistants. Yeah. Have they changed that term? Is it a different term now? No. Or is it still the PA? You're the, you're the physician's assistant. Yep. So you were one of the very first. What right. did they do before that? Who was the role for the surgeon doing what you did? Uh, surgical residents. Surgical res. Oh, okay. Just other aspiring surgeons. Yes. Were. Okay. Yeah. Uh, actually, things opened up for me when the hospital that I had been a scrub tech at, I, I worked as a scrub tech just handing instruments during the operation. Right. They lost their uh, residents. Okay. And so they didn't have anybody to assist in the operating room. So that's when they started with this, uh, you know, physician assistant program. And and to say just handing instruments, I know you know this, no. but to, for anybody else listening, it's an advanced skill. It is. It yeah. requires someone who's talking about listening, paying yep. attention, anticipating what the surgeon needs. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's one of those skills you're like, oh, just scrub in, keep your hands clean. It's no. so much. No. And back then, uh, you had to actually thread the needles oh, wow. uh, the, uh, the surgical needles so wow. now they're all swedged on and you never you never uh, do it do that it's part, but back it's an then thing, right? you had to be inserting uh, the thread into the needle wow. and you had to do it quick yeah, so yeah. you had to anticipate so. wow wow all right so we'll, we'll take it even further back you're from ohio right yes mm -hmm. um you grew up in canton yeah or? canton, canton. Mm -hmm. what, what were your folks doing yeah, you said your dad was military? Uh, no, my dad actually uh, worked for the Timken Roller Bearing Company, and he was a truly a Horatio Alger story. He was a high school dropout. Uh, you know, I think I told you he dropped out and joined the Navy at age 16 to go uh, as a torpedo man in a submarine. And, uh, you know, during, fighting the Japanese during World War II, and then when he came back, he went to night school at Fenn College in Cleveland and started working in a factory in Canton, Ohio, the Timken Roller Bearing Company, and worked his way up uh, to foreman and then to a factory manager, general factory manager, and ended up as vice president of bearing operations wow. for the company. So, uh, you know, he taught me work ethic. I was just about to say, you're, one of the very first things you and I talked about was work ethic. Yep. And that, so that's your dad, huh? Yep. yep. And what was your mom up to? My mom uh, raising four kids, yeah. making three meals a day for them, washing their clothes, ironing, going shopping, mm -hmm. hauling us around. I had a great mother uh, and, uh, you know, both my parents taught me generosity yeah. and kindness that, you know, my mom was, when people talk about my mom, they talk about her as an angel. Yeah. Yeah. Friends that knew her. Your, she like was beloved. That's so cool. Yeah. Where are you in your, the order of kids? Oldest. Or you're the oldest. Yeah. Right. I have a brother a year younger, one, two years younger, sister six years younger. Nice. That's yeah. a good spread. Catholics? No, no, Lutheran. All right. Yeah. It's close. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what everybody says. Yeah. Actually, I'm an atheist now. So. Yeah, I'm fully recovered. Yeah. Well, God, I, I heard, uh, do you know the comedian Neil Brennan? Uh, I'm getting him confused with the other Brennan, or Bren, I think. The, Brana, Kenneth Brenna was the is the actor-director guy, but Neil Brennan is, I think he wrote for The Chappelle Show. 
No, anyway, no, uh-uh. I just saw a, a bit he did. He was talking about. Um, yeah, I went through all the you know the the rites of Catholicism: it was baptism, first communion, confirmation, atheism. Yeah, yeah, circle. Well, I went uh, Lutheran, then I became a Baha'i. What's and, a Baha'i? Uh, they believe in uh, the prophet Buhaullah. Buhaullah. Yeah. It's, uh, I think it's based in Persia. In Persia. Yeah, okay. my uh, high school biology teacher was the one who introduced me to that. Okay. And, of course, my parents were... Horrified. Horrified, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, uh, I did some Buddhism for a while mm-hmm. and then uh, agnostic and yeah. atheist. So, so you've, you've landed on a, a, a plane of certainty? Where, where How do you approach your, your atheism? Are you... Do you feel certain or you just feel highly doubtful and if this is you don't want to talk about religion uh, i'm happy to, just, to talk about I'm just, religion i'm always yeah. curious because i I've, I've gone through several phases of of i feel like we might be similar in this way very curious about this project what is this yeah. thing how yeah. is this you know yeah so like in your current iteration of your belief or disbelief in mm-hmm. god are you are you more ag- leaning toward agnosticism or are you fairly certain that there's just nobody out there nobody's home well, when you say nobody, I believe, you know, we're all this energy in the universe, you know. Is if it, you want to label something as God, that's what we, we all right, are, you right, know. Yeah, yeah. Your dog, uh, yeah. these trees, this van right here. Yeah. Uh, you sound like Yoda right now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> Let me talk about the force. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. you know, I'm spiritual, but sure, sure. Uh, I mean— I think that religion provides easy answers for people to very scary, complex questions. Yeah. Like, is there life after death? What is the meaning of life? Why are we here? Right. Yeah. You know, we're trying. They, there's these religions try to explain that so people don't have to think critically about it. Yeah. Totally. Because it's too scary to think about nothingness. Right. You can't even really. You can't. Get it in your brain. You can actually if you think about <laughs> it in reverse, which is what were where you were you before, before you were born? born? Right. The the non experience. Yeah. But to experience non experience is it it cancels itself out. You know what I mean? There is no there is no experience of non experience. It's like yeah. one of those things you can't it's like trying to grab a, a slippery fish, you know, the more <laughs> where you grab at it, the less likely you are to have it. I mean I, I do believe my energy uh you know, we're all energy and information. Sure. And I think some of that will live on somewhere in the universe. You know, we came from stardust. Right, right, yeah. And, yeah, the matter that, you know, yeah. made up of has got some, got to go somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, if I get reincarnated as uh, something, that'll be cool. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> I just don't want to, whatever it is, I just don't want to know. I just, I'm, I'm perfectly okay and I, in my moments of, like, fear and anxiety. I just hope the lights go out. Like, and if they don't, I just don't want this version of me to know about it. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> don't, don't tell this fucking idiot. Why is still that? Too scary or what? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the idea of, I mean, I don't want to go too far into it, but like the idea of heaven or hell, anything that is infinitely prolonged <laughs> to me is untenable. Oh, yeah. You know, just an infinite, I don't care if it's tits and champagne for the rest of eternity. I don't ever want to get sick of tits and champagne. You know what I mean? Like, I'm using that as a... Bro- I don't ever want to get sick of anything. I, I don't experience boredom. I know that sounds kind of like 
pretentious in a way, but I just I genuinely don't feel you it. You are the first person I've met who has that particular philosophy that I have. Boredom is bullshit. Boredom comes from within. Yeah, it's a self-induced. I, I can think about anything I want at any given time. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever been bored in my life. I, I'm not sure if I have either. I kind of feel like I probably haven't because I've. I mean, there's certainly been times I'm doing a thing. I would rather be doing something else. Yeah, it's tedious, right? But, but or, the in, internal machination of your thought is like this thing that feels somehow independent of the laws of nature, and you know, it's just this this world where nothing. I can be know. standing in line at the bank. And I can think about whatever I want. Yeah. I can think about catching a salmon in the Kenai River in Alaska. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's a. Uh, and it, I don't want to. I'm, I'm careful to not put anybody else down who deals with boredom. I don't mean to like, you know, come from some point yeah. of superiority. I'm just as much a fuck up as anybody else. But, yeah. But that I do feel kind of free of the shackles of boredom that I hear other people describe. Yeah, I, I don't it's understand like, oh, man, when bummer. people say this is boring. Yeah. Uh, I have a hard time buying into that. Yeah, I feel the same. So in that that line, is it, that sort of informs my philosophy or my fear of yeah. the unknown of death. Mm. I just, I, if, I, if I'm ever afraid of anything, is that it would continue. Even, and, yeah. and it doesn't inform like my moral choices. You know what I mean? Like a, the, the impulse to be morally responsible and to care for others. Yeah. And it's not for hope of reward in the afterlife. Because if, if the reward is just shut the lights off and end the Andrew show, perfect. I don't care. I will be nice. I'll be the <laughs> nicest son of a bitch you've ever dealt with. You know, if someone would tell me for sure, if you're nice, the lights shut off, I would probably be even nicer. You know, I, 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 I'll be honest. I would go above and beyond. Anyway, I don't know how I got there. Sorry, but uh, it, well, it is. I, a, I heard something great uh, within the last couple months. Somebody asked uh, some. I I even forget the characters who they were. But somebody asked somebody, uh, "What would you do if you went to heaven and got to meet God? What would you say?" And that person said, "I'd ask him, what the fuck is wrong with you? How are you allowing little babies, babies with to cancer. die of cancer? Yes. How are you allowing people to suffer so much? Right. Send me back in time and I'll kill Hitler. Uh, it's that whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah." It, yeah, I would ask him if if I showed up, I'd be like, "Hey, is there any way we could just turn this? Could you just turn me off? Pull yeah. me, pull my card out of the game? <laughs> you know, the, you don't need an ace or a joker. You know, like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, it, that is interesting. Uh, Christopher Hitchens always said, um, "What was it like? Uh, you know, I, I I don't take Pascal's wager because I don't want to be a liar. I would just tell you, know, like, listen." I, I would rather not lie on top of my all my other sins, lie to the Almighty and pretend like I yeah. believed in him when I didn't. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, sorry. So um and that we were was an interesting your... tangent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, Although I like important. I like them. Yeah, it is it, it's hugely important. Yeah. It, it is a hugely important question to I, I'm in, I'm more in that school of I don't I don't know. I don't have a certainty about I don't know. the existence or non existence of God or But I just um, believe that Religion is a bunch of hoo-ha. I mean, it's magical thinking. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was our first shot or one of our first shots at um, organizing our thoughts in the same way that we've ended up doing with science. You know, that it's 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 a method. Like to when people are like, well, science has failed here or I believe in science or that type of thing. It's like, uh, 
you know, it's, it'd be like believing in the hammer and hoping that it would do something for you and being upset that the hammer didn't drive the nails in. Like, no, you know, the, the hammer didn't let you down. You didn't swing it right, you know? So, you ever watch Bill Maurer? Yeah, I like Bill Maurer. Yeah, Bill Maurer lately has been really critici- criticizing science mm-hmm. based on, like, uh, what he considered to be misinformation during COVID and vaccinations right. and everything. And it pisses me off to hear that because yeah. what he doesn't understand is that science is always changing. It's it always is. evolving. You're always taking in new information. Yeah. And it, and it's a method. It it's isn't. A, it is a method. It's not a, I don't know. It's like, it's like separating the science from the scientist, you know, separating the art from the artist. Like if you enjoy thriller, doesn't make you a bad person because Michael Jackson was a pedophile. You know, yeah. like you can separate those two things. Yeah. You know, you can separate art from artist, science from scientist, and, you know. I have a difficult time sometimes separating that stuff with some of these artists and things I, they've done. I get it. I yeah. totally get it. But you can not, and you can see both sides of that argument. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I was working in a place in New Orleans, and uh, we we're, you know, it's just like a mix of music came on, and I think Billie Jean came on. Yeah. And this lady was like, turn this fucking shit off immediately. Like, no problem. Yeah. Like, no, this is not the hill I'm dying on. Yeah. Like, turn it off. <laughs> right. I get it. You know, I, I get it. But at the same time, it's like, you know, that was a dude. That's just a song. You know, that, yeah, it's great music, right? Right, right. You know, but but with science, maybe this, this is where the analogy falls apart. Science is a thing that exists whether or not you believe in it, because it's just a, it's a way of dealing with information. And the right way to do it isn't to fall in love with your hypothesis. It's to try to disprove that which you think is true, which is a different thing than a religious approach where you're meant to just believe in a thing that you can't prove. God said it, I believe it, and that settles that it. That settles it, and that's fair enough. You know, if that gives you comfort and helps you sleep, you know, just don't make me believe it. You know, don't punish me or make some punitive form of you know, we're life. We're in a situation where there's a lot of people trying to make you believe things. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, on in a lot of ways, yeah, religiously and otherwise. Yeah. But they're, they're all just sort of systems that we work in, you know. And it's interesting because you're you're an educator, you know, and you're working around systems and trying to teach yep. people how to learn. Yep. And and to do it in a way, like you said, you're you're open hearted about it, and you're you're as a co student with these people. I think that might be a huge part of what's missing and why we have so much entrenched, divisive certainty in our our culture. Yeah, my doctoral degree is actually in cognitive psychology, focusing on learning, instruction, and cognition. So I'm all about uh, how how do people learn best? Yeah, and it varies from person to person. Yeah, yeah, I'm very much an experiential sort of learner. Yeah, me too. I need I need to do it. I need to be. But I can learn other ways too. Yeah, you're good at that. I'm I'm maybe I can uh, I can intellectualize something and understand it but until i've done it you know I, I take that back one of the best ways that i ever learned anything i'm a fourth child my older sister and i are uh, technically mathematically sharing the middle i think that's important to uh, designate six of us yeah not quite a middle child but um you know i watched three older siblings go through you know their you know toddler young years teenage yeah and i just saw what didn't work Yep. So I, I kind of knew what 
not to do or how to get away with doing what I wasn't supposed to do. Yeah. That's an interesting way to learn. Yeah. You, know, you can learn from other people's mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I guess, a, a form of experiential learning, but it's not direct. It's, it's like observational. A, yeah. Yeah. I feel good doing that. I think yeah. that's why I like doing this. Yeah. <laughs> Talking to people. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. You're, you're, you're in Ohio. You're doing education. Your parents are cool. Your mom is lovely. You yeah. got sweet parents yeah. who nurtured all you guys. Yeah, I had the the leave it to beaver life. I grew up at this lake where we swam. We had a beach. We weren't wealthy mm-hmm. at all. You know, middle class. Yeah. Uh, uh, ice skate in the winter. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was great. It was it was idyllic. That's cool. And you took. Did you at what point in your life did you realize like you enjoyed teaching? Was there like a mentor that showed you that or did you find a person to mentor? Were you like a tutor kind of kid? What was your intro into that? Uh, in, uh, I have some un- it's really unbelievable. Uh, we used to have future teachers association in high school. Wow. And so I was a member of that. Okay. And we got to go down to the junior high and teach. Really? So I remember teaching seventh grade math as a junior in high school. Wow. And then my senior year, I was the biology teacher's kind of like lab assistant because I would rather wash test tubes than go to study hall. And uh, he injured his back his senior year, my senior year. They pulled me out of all my classes to teach all his classes no way. for like 10 days. Wow. I mean, that would be unheard of now. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it, there'd be so many legal problems. Right. But yeah, that was cool. So, that's very cool. Yeah. Boy, that's, so that got in you early. Yeah. You, you knew. Yeah. You know, uh, I wrote a chapter in this book, and it kind of starts off. It says, when I was uh, a kid, I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be a surgeon. I wanted to be a radio broadcaster. Yeah. So <laughs> I kind of landed on all yeah. of those at one point in time. That's yeah. awesome. So yeah. wait, what, what's the book? Uh, it was a book focusing on invitational education, and they asked me to do one chapter of it. That's so, cool. Invitational. Invitational education. Yeah, it's it's very student-centered. Mm-hmm. Uh, for years, I would go over to Hong Kong and evaluate schools over there that were part of this invitational education movement. Okay. And, uh, you know, the whole idea was to be as inviting as possible for the student, the parent, the faculty, the staff, just to make the environment as uh, inviting and caring and beautiful as possible. Yeah, and that you're involved, you know, that you would give a shit about how your kid's doing in school, not yeah. just in some abstract way, like you better bring home good grades, but like, what's the environment like? How, yeah. what are your teachers like? That's, that's a good person for a parent to know, someone teaching your kid. Absolutely. Kids. It seems like it should be a little less um, segregated in that way. You know, like, here's your house, here's your school, here's your thing. You know, it seems like it's, our evolutionary uh, trajectory has mostly been this sort of like co- mixed rearing of people you know with your educators and your elders and everybody all in one spot and it's only been in the last what since the industrial revolution that that's been a big change so we're still it's funny that we're still trying to figure out how to teach people you know that's like the biggest project we got going 
Well, they've made uh, education so political. Yeah, you know, yeah. starting back in the, uh, well, when I was a senior in high school, or junior in high school, I was on the debate team. I guess I was a sophomore, actually. And the uh, topic for that year was, should the federal government provide aid to education? <laughs> and, uh, you know, beginning with, particularly with Ronald Reagan in the 1980s, they just made uh, education a complete political football with no child left behind. Right. We used to call it no, no teacher left standing or no teacher left sane <laughs> yeah. because it all focused on this high stakes testing, right. which is total bullshit. Yeah. And sort of making the government a boogeyman where it's like that's where you want government money at least. Yeah. You know, like roads and schools. That yeah, sounds like exactly. a good place to put Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Makes the toilet flush, keep the water on, make my kid not a dummy. Yeah. Make Help. sure your roads are good. Yeah. Wow. So, okay. You mentioned Hong Kong. Yeah. Uh, it seems like in our brief interaction so far, you've mentioned travel being a big part of your life. Yeah. You've, you've managed to do a lot of that. Were, were you also in the Marines or the Navy? Or? Nope. Uh, no, not no in the military at all. Uh, I think I've been to 60 countries now. Really? And I'm going to add four more uh, in May. Yeah, that's and awesome. then... Uh, and where are you going in May? I, I actually am going on my first ever cruise. Wow. And I'm going to take a 14-day cruise in the Mediterranean. Sweet. Which actually takes me to... Malta. Uh, I've been to Malta, oh, nice. uh, but it's going to take me to Egypt, where I haven't oh, been. It's going to awesome. take me to Israel, uh, and it's going to take me to Cyprus. Oh, that's cool. Uh, and I haven't been to any of those places. Oh, that's great, man. Yeah. Okay, so that's one of the perks of being a teacher, is that there are these natural breaks in work. You get the. Did you have the three-month summer thing to work with, or no? Uh, not too much. How'd you get your travel in? You know, it's very situational. Yeah. It, it depends uh, what I was doing, where I was at at the time. Yeah. You know, uh, so. What, what planted that bug in you? What made you interested in getting out there? You know, my dad worked in a factory. I saw what life was like in a factory. Yeah. I decided a lot, very early on, I'm never going to work in a factory. In my goal in life is to make my life as exciting and spectacular and as interesting as possible. Good choice. And so, uh, yeah, I'm not sure what it was exactly. You know, maybe it was my parents taking us on little family vacations to Washington, D.C. or something. But yeah. I don't know. I've always loved to travel. It could be that, that thing, seeing what not to do. You know, okay, well, I don't want to do this. You know, I want excitement. Yeah. I want, yeah. Yeah. But there is something about those family trips, you know, just to be with that, that family unit somewhere else other than your neighborhood, other than your house, other yeah. than the, the six places you all go together. Yeah, I have good sudden, memories of that. Yeah. Do you, like, you were saying he had a Leave it to Beaver sort of life at home. Was it that same sort of, you know, national park camping with dad type of thing? Or Yeah, I we, you know, we never went west. Uh, really? From Ohio, uh, we always went, uh, you know, upstate New York or Pennsylvania or Washington D.C. Yeah, we didn't really my... have that many uh, vacations. Yeah, my dad was a workaholic, 
And, uh, but yeah, let's see, you know, I'm trying to think, uh, in 1970, uh, this friend and I, after I graduated from college, I just drove out to California and uh, lost most of my money in Vegas playing blackjack <laughs> and ended up in Los Angeles, worked at uh, Mount Sinai, Cedars of Lebanon Hospital, wow. lived for a dollar a day at the Sigma Chi House at uh, USC campus. Wow. Wait, was that the plan? Were you on your way to, to go do that job? Or you just, you no, got there I, and you're out of money and you needed uh, yeah, a gig? Yeah, out of money, got to go to work. Wow. Yep. Yep. Oh, that's, what, what year was that? That was 1970. 1970. Yeah. Wow, what a time to be in, in yeah, California. And then, yeah, and then in LA. to come up to San Francisco where it was, you know, flower power. And right, yeah. Dope smoking. And that was really cool. So you've been here since? Or have you traveled no, back no. and forth since then? Oh, no. I've, uh, Lived in Alaska. Oh, that's right. You uh, mentioned Yeah. Harvard. Lived yeah. in uh, the Great Smoky Mountains in North Carolina. Oh, nice. I spent 13 years as a professor at the University of Iowa. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, spent six years in Bakersfield as a professor. Wow. Okay. So yeah, I'm old. Yeah. I got a lot of history. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, you've seen a lot of it, man. I mean, were you in Asheville? Where in, where in North Carolina were you? Uh, actually, just west of Asheville, 40 miles in a little town called Cullowee. Cullowee. Yeah, where Western Carolina University is. Oh, it's so uh, I was I was a center fellow at the North Carolina Center for the Advancement of Teaching. Wow. And I got to do uh, teacher renewal seminars, which were fantastic. I did I did one, one called The Natural Rhythms of the River where I would take teachers kayaking, whitewater rafting, uh, teach them how to canoe. We'd write poetry about rivers, we'd sing songs, we'd have musical performances, That's we sane the river for microorganisms and fish. And, wow. Uh, you know, I did some on uh, making awesome videos. I did one on the history of rock and roll, one on the history of baseball. Wow. Uh, it was a great job. Yeah. But living in the Great Smoky Mountains, it may sound romantic. That's challenging. It's very provincial. Yeah. And if you haven't lived there five or six generations, you're an outsider. Yeah. And you're you're never going to not be an yeah. outsider. Yeah. And, and uh, as a single man, it was mm -hmm. pretty challenging. I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. But so, I'm glad I did it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things that... Do you, do you experience this? Do you regret anywhere you've lived? Not that I can think of. Yeah, me neither. I think it might be tied into that same idea of boredom. You know, like, um, it's like jumping into an extremely cold body of water. You know, you're all nervous about it. It's hard, but you do it, and after you've done it, you're like... Which I'm I've very... done a thousand times. Yeah, you're a I, swimmer. <laughs> I remember the Dolphin Club and used yeah. to swim in the bay, yeah. Yeah, There's you never regret having no. jumped in a very shockingly cold, painfully cold body of water. Right. I agree with that. Yeah. I feel I kind of feel the same way about like a psychedelic journey, even when they're terrifying. I don't know if you've been in experiencing this. I way. have. You know, you, <laughs> Good you and bad. Yeah. Even the bad ones, I don't regret them. I mean, yeah, I remember them. It scared mm -hmm. the shit out of me, but mm -hmm. I don't regret having done it because it's like, whew, I needed that, you know. Uh, I feel the same way about having lived in weird places that, you know, you might look back like, God, what a... Not what a shithole that was. Or, or, yeah, yeah, not particularly progressive or yeah. boy, those people didn't like me very much. But Yeah, no, I, I have no regrets about yeah. 
uh, any of the places I've lived. Yeah, you seem including in a van yeah. on Homer Spit. Yeah, I was. I wanted to talk to you about Homer because that that's such a cool place. Now you ended up there on a trip, right? You were heading somewhere. Or did you go out there? On, on I purpose? was moving to Alaska. Okay, this was my first big foray out of Ohio. I mean, I had lived in Los Angeles that one summer. Right. But I'm like, okay, I am going to Alaska. And, uh, you know, took the long way by way of Mexico. Yeah. And all the way up the coast and ended up in Homer. It was in 1982. In a van. In a van, an old Dodge van that broke down several times on the way there. <laughs> you know, lost lost the U-joint. uh mm. On the middle of the Denali Highway, oh. 70 miles from really anything. anything. Yeah. And uh, I lost my steering gearbox up at uh, Hungry Horse Reservoir in Montana. Wow. But made it. Yeah, you made it. And how long did you live in Homer? I lived in Homer year-round for uh, four years. But I've been going back there every year since then, with wow. only a couple exceptions. Wow. So I consider it kind of a second home. I've yeah. got a lot of friends up there. And then across the bay over in Halibut Cove, uh, the Tillian family. Nice. Yeah. It's a, it's a unique place, man. It is. It, the end of the road. you know. Yeah. <laughs> I call it a cosmic center of the universe. I can see that. It's because it's so strange. I mean, it just the confluence of different cultures that yeah. are there, you know, with the, the sort of insular um, Russian Orthodox. Yeah. Yep. I don't know if is that the right term yeah. for that community. It is. Um, yeah, they're, they're their own little world. They are. They're very. Um, There's four different Russian villages up there. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, obviously the tourist caravan yep. and the, the, uh, the, the fishermen. crews, the fishermen. Yeah. And, and then all the artists. Yeah. That's what, one thing that struck me is how many different little galleries and yeah. art pieces and yeah, public for, art. For a town, less than 5,000 people. Right. Amazing. But it turns into like 20 in the summer, right? It doesn't, it, there's this weird influx of Yeah, not transient. really. I mean, uh, the population does grow. I don't think it grows by four times. Okay. But so it's just like I a, mean, but there's a shitload of people in there. Uh, Winnebago's yeah. going yeah. down there from Anchorage. And- yeah, we we were there. Uh, it was, you know, summer obviously, in the, in, like salmon season, and yep. got to see some of that really cool culture. You know, people hitting the beach. You know, and they're there all day, and they're doing that crazy drift netting thing. Oh yeah, and, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, you, know, you just got like a mom skinning salmon for hours. You know, the dad. Oh yeah, that reminds me of a story. Uh, I went over to Seward my first year there. And the Seward Silver Salmon Derby was going on, and I was fishing off the shore, and um, I was catching pink salmon, which are called humpies. They're the least desirable, but they're still yeah, delicious they're salmon. Yeah. Good, yeah. And so I was camped next to a, uh, a Native American lady, and I said to her, uh, <laughs> how do you like to prepare your uh, pink salmon? And she looked at me and she said, I like to take my humpies and dry them. <laughs> they just fucking cut them in half and hung them over a clothesline and dried them out. And that was it. That was it. That's the preparation. Yep. Wow. That's awesome. I like to take my humpies. That's a sentence you're not going to hear no. anywhere else. No. Maybe like 
in the sunset or something like that. Yeah. Castro. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like the uh, the culture. There's a lot that like Inuit um and Eskimo culture. We met we met this woman who was uh, um she was in the Eskimo Olympics. Mm. And she was a, co- a competitor, really like you know, small statured lady, but just did all this really cool shit. Mm. And the way she described how like the premise, the difference between those games and like the typical sport games that, you know, we in, in the West, you know, whatever the cultural West mm-hmm. and the, the vast difference was it wasn't for the benefit of glorifying a single winner. No, it was for just setting a new high watermark mm-hmm. for everybody. Yeah. Cause it came from a tribal setting. And it's people working together. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I really appreciated that. I thought it was really kind of a cool thing. Like, and they were, the games were based on things that were functional and like a hunter gatherer type of, or, or even like you know the the tribal setting like yeah it was it was interesting I liked that that culture yeah. and that you know making wise use of the land and you know, harvesting animals and yeah that yeah, was cool Alaska's a special place it is man we made some we made some really interesting friends out there that were were still one of the, one of the coolest people we met was a traveler but a guy who rides from Florida to uh, Alaska on his motorbike. Uh, we met him in Chicken. Oh, yeah, Chicken. I've uh, been to Chicken. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was like, man, I really, I got to talk to this guy. He had a little Brazilian sticker on, uh-huh. his, on his motorcycle. Uh-huh. He's, he is a Brazilian guy, but uh, just a beautiful human being who just, it was just so drawn to going to Alaska. You know, he'd go up to the Arctic Circle and all these, you know, crazy roads. Yeah, and, I have friends uh, who I met up there, like from Germany and yeah. places like that I still stay in touch with that I've actually gone and visited at their homes. It's so cool. The, the people in Alaska are special. Yeah. They have to be multi-talented. Mm. Yeah, you've got to be pretty willing to deal with some harsh shit. I mean, the weather can kill you. Oh, yeah. If you're not careful. You Definitely. Know, you just die from just the weather. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I met a guy there in a bar. Um, a friend of ours came out to visit us while we were out there. We were in between Anchorage and uh, Denali, the park. Okay. What's that crazy town where they they bet on the uh, the ice breaking? It's like on the river. Yeah, yeah. It's like I know exactly thing. what you mean. Yeah, you uh, got this crazy tower in the middle of the yep. river, and everybody's you know you can place a bet on the second. I think it begins with a T. Uh, Something hard to pronounce. I don't know, but uh, somebody think. right now is listening and screaming at their computer. Yeah, I know. Like, Fuck, it's yeah. the name. Anyway, we're, so we're at this town. Yeah. Go to this I little. I know exactly bar, where you mean. And I'm sitting there, and this is like. You know, 2018, so people are right in the thick of uh, their disgust with Trump, right? Yeah. You know, the people where I come from around here, you know, there's... Yeah. So, but we're up there in Alaska, and it's a different story, man. Like, you know, people up there have very different political leanings a lot yeah. of times. So I'm, I'm sitting at this bar talking to this older gentleman, and, um, you know, he starts talking. He's very pro-Trump, and I just don't give a shit. I, it does not matter to me what the guy's politics is. and so I just asked him questions. I just wanted to know, like, you know, how do you feel? What's going on? And it, we got that out of the way because you know, he was, was aware of us being from California, having California tags. So he got to vent. And once that was out of the way, we had the best conversation. Uh, he was such a cool guy. He invited yeah. us over to his house. And it was the most Alaskan thing. He's like, check out my gold. Check out my guns. Check out all the bears and, the you know, all the shit I've caught. Yeah. He gave us a big chunk of moose tenderloin oh good yeah uh, gave us a bunch of salmon it's like oh my god and just like letting allowing for that space for someone to not you know to not argue with them about 
how yeah. you think, you know, yeah. I don't know anything about politics, you know, like there is a weird psychosis and arguing something that you don't really know you're not an expert on. Yeah. 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 So I just, I don't know. I, I found that in Alaska, if you just don't argue and you don't take some entrenched position, you know, you, you can really beat some super cool people. Yeah. You know, and just your politics don't have to matter. You know, it's true. I guess that's a good rule of thumb anywhere, but it seems particularly useful. Yeah, it's uh, pretty crazy these days. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. I try not to get too too involved in it. I I have got too involved in it. Have you? Are you a recovering political arguer? Yeah. Recently recovering. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, uh, congratulations. Yeah. I mean, I just... Was it online? Were you an online arguer? No, just, you know... Uh, consuming it on the news. In fact, one of my resolutions this year is like, I'm only going to consume 10% of what I had been consuming. Yeah. I don't need to know all that shit. You don't need to know. I don't think we're meant to. It doesn't affect my life, really. Yeah, I don't think we're meant to know it. I mean, like, just from an evolutionary standpoint, most of the world, for most of human history, was not aware of most of the world. You know, like, yeah, we were all these tiny little worlds. Yeah, you know, the Incan and the uh, the Romans—they didn't know each other. No, you know, massive empires. They had no idea. And even you know, when I was growing up, you got three television stations, right. so everybody consumed the same news. Yeah, yeah, uh, for good or ill, you know. Yeah, I, I think it just uh, it might create a weird low-level anxiety, if not high anxiety, people to have all this disparate information. Oh, it. it it is. It can be very high anxiety. Yeah, I know friends who have uh, really suffered through it, and people who just no longer talk to one another. Yeah, because of and, their and I've been that way. Are you? Yeah, re- yeah you're recovering from that. You, did you drop some people off? I had to. Yeah. I mean, you know, they were so pro-Trump, and you know, he is. You know, right. What What always gets me. Um, I, I tend not to engage in any in any of it. I don't. Good, good for you. But I'm I'm always fascinated by the like I think this this last thing with the house, you know, the the Kevin McCarthy speakership and all that going oh, on. Oh yeah, that bullshit. That was so. Um, I saw, and I talked to a few people who were very consumed with that, right? Right. And so that's the House of Representatives. Yeah. There's someone in there that presumably you voted for, right? Yeah. That's sitting in that chamber. Yeah, what I know is, the guy. Right. I met him. You would be maybe not surprised at how many people are so they're laughing at the Kevin McCarthy thing. They're just watching this political theater, but do not know the name of the representative who is in charge of their district, who's yeah. there to represent them. I'm sure they do not know who that person is, but they know who Marjorie Taylor Greene is, yeah. who Matt Gates. Yeah. It like it's like at that at that level, it's just a weird TV show. Now you're watching a strange show that's it not is. really that good the story's not that you know like yeah it's it's so bizarre but you feel like you're engaged because it's the news of course i give a shit i'm with the news but like who's the mayor of your town yeah who's your city council member (laughs) that kind of ticks and matters you know yeah anyway sorry to uh, we keep just off on different things i I do want to know more about you (laughs) okay so you're in homer you've traveled around the states you're very yeah much not engaged in just teaching students, but teaching teachers to remain curious about being students. I have spent a lot of my time teaching teachers how to teach. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. 
Yeah. That's very I've, cool. Uh, you know, at the University of Iowa, at Cal State Bakersfield, mm-hmm. uh, here at Turo, uh, at, you know, North Carolina Center for the Advancement of Teaching. Yeah. Yeah. And in that, you're you're traveling sometimes professionally. Yep. And then scuba. And, I'm, and I'm doing workshops for teachers. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and wrapping that into your travel whenever possible. Yeah, absolutely. Making it, okay. Yeah. Now, where does the scuba thing come in? Because you, I know you were mentioning you're an avid scuba diver. Yeah, let's see. That started, uh, you know, like 25, 30 years ago. I was living in Iowa. and uh, Interesting place to pick up scuba. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> uh, got, uh, we did our checkout dives in quarries. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, with 10 foot of visibility. So, yeah, I started um, diving with my uh, good friend, John Andreessen, and we dove all over the world. I mean, we probably, probably our favorite place was the island of Bonaire uh, off the coast of Venezuela. Oh, wow. It's one of the ABC islands, Aruba, Bonaire, Carousel, and they have shore diving down there. Oh, cool. And you just throw like eight tanks of air in the back of a pickup truck, throw it on your back, walk in, boom. You're at a uh, beautiful coral reef. Wow. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, Dove all over, uh, you know, like Cozumel, Mexico, but Mm. all over the Caribbean and uh, the Grand Turks and Caicos Islands, uh, Fiji, Micronesia, Hawaii, Florida. That's cool. Uh, Yeah. Have you done any diving here? I have done some diving, like down in the Monterey Peninsula. Yeah. We've got a friend who goes, I think she was up in Mendocino not long ago, up there diving up there and, you know, looking at... They dive for abalone up there. Yeah, looking at abalone and um, the crazy urchin situation. There's like a tragic sea urchin mm. situation that's wrecking the... Um, I didn't know that. It's a it's an enormous problem. They they eat the kelp and nothing really? eats them. So they, sea urchins. Sea urchins are just wrecking the kelp forests, which are like, you know, the forest of the sea. And it's it's a problem because no one, nothing in there in that environment is eating these urchin. Uh, it's like not the one that the seals want or something like I don't know exactly what it is, but I just know that there's a, it's like an environmental catastrophe, and like people are going around these weird sea vacuums and sucking up these sea urchins, and they're not the ones that are great for eating. Oh, really? Because yeah. I was going to say they're delicious. They are delicious. It's weird. It's delicious in a way that reminds you of like somebody dunking your head underwater in the sea. It's <laughs> briny. Super briny. Yeah. I like them. But yeah, that, I, I didn't know if you'd been up there at all. Yeah, I've been up there, but I haven't yeah, dived up there. Not diving up there. Yeah. I, we're in just such a cool area for everything. Fantastic. So lucky. Yeah. All right, so you've picked up this Iowa-based love of uh, yeah. of that. So how did you get out here? What what brought you and how long have you been a job. Here? Okay. Uh, this is actually my one third stint in California. Okay. You know, I was at Cal State Bakersfield for six years, mm-hmm. lived in beautiful Bikersfield. Yeah. And uh, I, like I said, I lived in Los Angeles. Uh, and then there was a job uh, announcement in the Chronicle of Higher Education. And I had, I had uh, sadly pretty much said, oh, I'm going to end up in Iowa the rest of my life, which was depressing to me. I'd always wanted to live in the Bay Area. Yeah. And when I saw this ad that said Mare Island, like I applied immediately. Yeah. And um, so you remembered it from your dad. Oh like yeah. 
Absolutely. Just from his stories. And I've always wanted to live in San Francisco. Yeah. My dad always said, uh, I wish I'd have stayed in San Francisco after really? the war. So, yeah, I moved out here uh, 17 years ago wow. and uh, took a job as associate dean of the College of Education at, at Turo. Wow. And, uh, so you've yeah. been on Mary Island for almost 20 years. This, yeah. Wow. Uh, Is this one of the longer stints you've done in a place? It's the longest. The longest, yeah. Yeah. How's that feel? Good. Yeah? Yeah. I never thought I would stay anywhere very long. It feels good to feel settled and be like, this is the spot. Well, yeah. I found the place I want to be. Now, like I told you earlier, whether I can continue to afford that. That's another story. Yeah. But that that sensation of feeling settled, you know, that's cool. Yeah. I, I, I... I'm not sure I'm there. You know, I, I, I'm not you, sure I'm there either. Yeah, okay. You know, okay. I still dream about oh, maybe I'll retire in southern France or Mexico Portugal or, yeah, or yeah. Spain or yeah. Mexico or Costa yeah. Rica. Yeah. So you, there's still West a, Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> you still got it like a, a pinky toe in the ether. Yeah. Definitely. Right. Well, that, that maybe. Yeah, you know, I, I was just thinking about it when you said your dad wished that he'd stayed here. You know. I, I was talking to a guy today. I stopped at a music store, and the guy was from uh, the UK. And, um, you know, he was so enamored. I told him I was from Memphis. He was, like, so enamored with Memphis, you know. And, uh, you know, I have a romanticized version of UK, yeah. you know, particularly, like, Liverpool in my mind, you know, right, because right. of the Beatles. Yep. And we were talking about this thing, and it's like, if your dad had stayed here and, and somehow you managed to exist and come into being in California, you wouldn't know, you wouldn't know how great it is necessarily, you know, because you were, if you're from a place, it's hard to see that this, you know, perspective of a visitor. Yeah. I probably wouldn't be desiring to go to Ohio though. You never know. You never know. It is weird when you meet someone from like the Bay area who lives in like Schenectady or, or somewhere else. Like what the fuck (laughs) are you doing here? Exactly. (laughs) I used to live in the Bay Area. Now like, I live in Fallensby, West Virginia. Yeah, it's like, what? Really? <laughs> yeah, but no, there's something about being an outsider. There, there's a there's a charm to being an outsider, not having grown up somewhere. You know? Yeah. But there are still plenty of people, like our neighbors, that we live in San Anselmo right now, and our neighbor is now, he's moved home, and he's taking care of his mother and father, specifically his father. And uh, he's you know in his childhood home, and he... It's almost like the hero's journey. He went out, and he's come back, and now sees home with new eyes. Yeah. You know, but he had to go away from it to come back and appreciate it. Yeah. Although I've met plenty of people, including uh, several through voiceover work, that have spent their whole life here. Yeah, and they they feel like they were lucky enough to be born in the best yeah. place ever. Yeah. Yep. No, I mean it. It is a pretty, especially a guy coming from Memphis, Tennessee. This is like a Shangri La. Mm-hmm. Man, it's pretty. pretty yeah. Great. Yeah. Pretty great. So I guess that guy, that Brit, was uh, uh, thinking about the blues, Memphis blues, and Elvis, and yeah, 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 yeah. That it's funny, man. When, um, when I first, the first time I went to the UK, the only time I went to the UK, I, I sat next to a guy who was going home. He was actually from Bath, and he, but he'd been in Memphis, and I flew from Memphis, you know, to to Heathrow, and um, you know, he's like, had been in Memphis. He was just could not stop thinking about Memphis, even though we're, you know, we're, he'd been there for a week going home. It was like around the time of, uh, the, there's a Elvis week, like around the, the time of Elvis's death, there's a vigil, you know, oh. this is whole thing. And this guy had traveled from Bath 
to Memphis just to spend a week and you know, tr- you know, go where the king hath trod. Yeah. You know, like that. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, it was so wild, you know, to just to see that level of appreciation. Uh, that was one of my first jobs. My second job was at Graceland. I and got, what did you do? Uh, I got hired originally just to work at the gift shop across the street, and then I was uh, like a stockroom guy. So I was like, I'd, I'd help. I'd let people go on break. I'd like take a little, you know, um, a cash drawer, and I'd go sit in for you while you went and took a dump uh-huh. or got lunch or something. And, uh-huh. uh, but you know, you meet people from all over the world who are just absolutely enamored with Elvis. Oh yeah, and it's Elvis music twenty four seven. There's always Elvis music playing. And I, I totally dug it, man. Like, I loved working in the car museum, like all his old cars. Yeah. And uh, there was a guy, his his uncle worked there still. He wrote a cookbook, like this kind of redneck cookbook. You know, A Presley Speaks was one of his books. And I'd sit there and talk to him, and he was great, man, Uncle Nestor. Uncle uh, Nestor. V- Vester. Vester. Uncle Vester. He was awesome. He'd, like, tell these crazy stories. And, you know, and everybody, like, that knew Elvis, that was his friend, would get a Cadillac. He'd give him a Cadillac, you know. At the end of the summer, Vester was like, well, he goes, I had to go back to school. I was a teenager, you know. He's like, I hate like hell that you're leaving, Andrew, but tell you this, if the king was still alive, you'd be driving a Cadillac for sure. The greatest thing anybody's ever, ever said to me. That's you know? cool. Yeah, it was really cool. That's really weird we're talking about Elvis because last weekend I binged on Elvis. Yeah? What'd you watch? I listened. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I, I started by listening to all his number one hits. Nice. I mean, he had some good shit, man. A lot of a lot of good writers. Absolutely, and you know, when you think about it, it comes from a variety of genres. Yeah, it comes from gospel, rockabilly. Blues, it comes rockabilly. from blues. It comes from jazz, uh, gospel. Yeah, and just that 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 showmanship. You know, oh. this whole crazy thing. Yeah, there uh, there's this one. The thing, if I ever, if I just get a hankering <laughs> hankering to listen to some Elvis, there's a live show. Where he'd been, you know, it's like he's getting ready for the '68 comeback special thing, uh. and he's in Las Vegas, and he just is like, I don't know if he's drunk or high or just excited, and he's just fucking around, and he starts laughing. He's like making jokes through the <laughs> songs, like, <laughs> "Are you lonesome tonight?" And he starts like messing up the lyrics intentionally, and he just cracks up laughing. It's it is one of my favorite things to uh, listen you're to you're gonna have to send me the link i'll to send that. you man it's it's brilliant because yeah. he's just like he just loses it on stage and he's it's huh. the first time he'd ever seen gatorade They're really like, it was new and he was like they call it gatorade i guess it aids your gator but it looks used to me <laughs> like, <laughs> I <love> that. <laughs> looks used yeah. Like, yeah, i can see your point anyway sorry man i'm very bad at staying on topic but no i am too i guess yeah um so you've been here for 17 years, yeah. still teaching, and now in the past three years, you've decided to transition to voice work. Yes. What, other than you having a good voice, what, what pushed you in that direction? Well, I have a friend in San Francisco whose wife was taking courses at uh, Voice One, mm-hmm. and uh, he was talking to me about it. Jeez, that sounds interesting. And there it is. It's as simple as that, really. Yeah. And uh, and you found you love it, like you you've got a passion for it. I do. Yeah. 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 And uh, I love it, and it's frustrating at times. It's, well, it's you were saying you do like what twenty five uh, auditions, auditions a week. A week. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Some, that's, that's probably the max that I've done. 
Do you do you feel comfortable sharing your ratio of audition to? Oh, it's so low. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like fifty to one. Oh shit. Yeah. Hey, you're good, man. That's it's like a little well, disparity. Sally Clausen told me when I asked her what the ratio was, she said for me it was forty to one. For her. Yeah. She's awesome. Like she's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it there's a lot be, of competition out there. Yeah, it can be a little dis, you know, dispiriting. And a lot of it's about relationships you build. Right, right. Yeah, finding a couple gigs that you can hang on to. Yeah. and work through. Yeah, right. you know, finding somebody who believes in you. Yeah, I haven't found that person yet. Well, you've certainly got a good talent for it, and uh, you approach it in a cool way. Um, what's your website? My website is uh, https colon what slash slash www.jimoconnorvoice.com. Dot dot com. Yeah. No, not plural, just singular. Jimoconnorvoice.com. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah uh, you were saying, I mean, you, you make, you endeavor to make contacts, let everybody you know, yep. I'm doing this as a thing. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. uh, I don't think you've met Angeli Fitch, but mm-hmm. she, I, I think I told you she used to be a lawyer and uh, was a highly successful defense lawyer. And then, sitting in court one day and said, I hate this fucking job, and then decided to be a voice artist at yeah. age 50. And now she's making a ton of money. And one of the things she does is she spends at least an hour every day, if not more, just emailing people, sending them messages on LinkedIn. Just cold? Just cold? Not cold. Sometimes follow-up. Okay. But always nurturing and building those relationships wow. and i don't have the that's the least interesting part for me yeah and the most d- difficult part for me yeah but you have to be able to self-promote you're you're the reason i've i went back and looked at my linkedin i was like i forgot i had one same here it's yeah. a weirdly demoralizing platform for me to <laughs> you know, i don't like applying for jobs i've I know. I've had a lot of them. I've had a lot of opportunity to demoralize myself yeah. and debase myself in front of, you know, yeah. just that weird supplication like, oh, I will be so good at this, you know. Like, Have I, you ever been fired from a job? Once. One job. Same here. Yeah. One time. What what, what happened to you? How'd you get canned? Uh, it was the Fresh Sourdough Express Bakery in Homer, Alaska, <laughs> and it was on Christmas Eve. Oh, shit. You really got to fuck up to get fired on Christmas Eve. It's Not a, with this lady. No, she was but, yeah. She was on edge. Uh, I was living with a good friend of mine, and he was working with me at the bakery. And uh, we, had, we had basically been, you know, carrying the bakery from Thanksgiving on, you know, yeah. doing all the bread and pies and everything. You might have even been to the fresh salad bakery. Might have, bakery, might yeah. have, yeah. And uh, uh, she's, we were late coming back because Tom got stuck in a snowdrift. And she just started ranting, and I just looked at her and said, you're a fucking bitch. You know? Wow. And that was it. That was it. Yeah, that'll do. That'll yep. do. Yep. And, That's uh, exciting, though. At least you had a exciting out, you know? So I, I, I saw this woman. I've, I've seen her many times since then. And uh, I came into Homer, and uh, uh, I went uh, two days later and had breakfast at the bakery and she's like oh hello you know and everything and uh she said oh you missed the the big party for all the uh employees you know the the early employees 
And I knew it had been going on. I said, yeah, I didn't get in until a day later. Uh, wow. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry I missed it. And I said, yeah, you could have told everybody you're the first person I ever fired. <laughs> and she goes, I'd hire you back in a minute. Oh, wow. And the guy sitting across from me said, yeah, so you could fire him again. <laughs> anyway. That's great. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's it's a weird thing. I, I I just it's funny enough. Just recently wrote a story about like jobs and getting fired and how yeah. What weird was your thing that where'd you get fired from? Oh man, it was crazy. I was I was a driver and sort of like a tour manager for this. Um, it's crazy. I got the job on the street in Seattle. Um, these people had like a forty-eight foot Airstream trailer. that was all decked out on the inside with Victorinox stuff. You know the Swiss Army company. Oh yeah. Uh, it was the f- like 200 or 175th anniversary of Victorinox and the 50 year anniversary of Airstream. So they partnered together to this co-branding thing. Mm. Anyway, I I was like, hey, if, are you guys hiring? That sounds like a fun job. And they're like, actually, we are hiring. It's like, oh, great. I can drive. So I got the job. I was their driver. I was like in this huge Ford F-450 hauling this Airstream all over North America. Wow. Like from, you know, Seattle to Boston to Las Vegas. And we're doing these little shows. You know, basically you set up you park somewhere, lay everything out. And, you know, I'm talking to people about Victorinox. Like, I give a shit about pocket yeah. knives and watches and shit. And uh, I was into it. And, you know, I couldn't go home. So they would, like, they flew my wife or my girlfriend at the time, but who's now my wife, they flew her out to, like, Montreal instead of sending me home. Like, well, you stay on the job, but she can come out here and visit. Um, anyway, I was working for this, this young woman who was the client. You know, cause I was hired by an expo company who was, you know, managing their tour. Hmm. Anyway, the, the Victorinox employee who was our contact was young, you know, and she was very, uh, she was a New Yorker, you know, very, and not like a native New Yorker. There's a difference. I'm sure you've maybe run into this. Like people from New York, yeah, totally chill a lot of times. You know? yeah. People who've moved to New York are uptight as hell, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, anyway, this, she was on that spectrum of the mm. New Yorker and um, just very inconsiderate of people's time, you uh-huh. know. And uh, I'm in downtown Montreal with this huge truck and trailer, and I'm trying. I'm like, she's like, I'll be, I'll be right back. I got to get a sandwich. I'm starving, and then I got to be on this phone call. Like, okay, so I'm waiting, and a cop, you know, knocks on the door. He's like, Hey, you got to move. You can't wait here. I was like, Oh shit! All right. So like, I move, go around the block, and like I'm calling her. I'm like, Hey, are you there? Are you there? Texting her. An hour and a half. You know, I'm like, keep getting moved by cops. Keep getting on the. Finally, um, she writes back. She's like, "No, I left. I left an hour ago." It's like, well, "How come you didn't say anything?" She's like, "I was just busy. I thought you'd." It's like, "I'm, I'm waiting on it." And literally, the only thing I said in the text message, and I, I chose, I thought the words very carefully. Said that was singularly inconsiderate. Not you are inconsiderate. Not you're yeah. a fucking bitch or anything. Yeah. You know, I was like, right. I just that thing. I tried to bracket it like that, and but I realized. Text message is a horrible way to communicate anything. And that irked her so much for me to say that to her. She got me fired. Like the, the boss literally called me and he was like, hey, uh, we're gonna, you're going to go home. Maybe you need a little break. I was like, okay. And then they just blacklisted me. Wow. I never, I didn't even get the satisfaction of hearing you're fired. I never yeah. even got that. I just got like, like half fired, but totally fired, but not, you know, with the satisfaction of saying, 
fuck you, get out of here, here's your last check, nothing. Well, I wish I would have said to her, that's inconsiderate. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm glad I didn't because getting fired was a was blessing. for you, yeah. Because uh, within three weeks I had a job in surgery at the local hospital. Oh, great. And a job teaching at the local community college. You know, it's it's that whole regret thing. Yeah. You know, you don't regret it. You did the right thing. It all. It's not like I don't have any regrets about anything in my sure. life. Sure. Yeah, you'd be a Most, psychopath not yeah, to. Mostly related to personal sure. interactions with people. Yeah, yeah. Those are easy to screw up. Yeah. Very, yeah. <laughs> well, I, man, oh, I think I'm getting better at it. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. It give me a little hope that I got room for improvement. You know, if you peak in your forties, no, yeah, that would suck. Actually, uh, you know, people uh, I've heard a lot of like people in their thirties and so forth lamenting about being in their fifties or sixties, and that's a great time. Yeah, I've had great times, even in you know in my seventies. Yeah, well, it seems like you're having a good time. Yeah, I am. And, you know, I am going to burn bright until the end. Nice. Because the light, I see the light at the end. You know, I've got five, ten maybe good years. You know, nobody has good years in their late 80s very often uh, or 90s. But, uh, yeah, I want to burn bright. I want to continue to live an exciting life. Well, that's, I mean, that's what's eventually going to get the the earth. You know, the sun is going to, as it as it goes, it's going to burn everything else around it. So yeah, <laughs> maybe somewhere between that and what you're currently doing. <laughs> don't don't yeah. take everything with you when you go. Yeah, yeah. Well, man, it's been a pleasure. I'm oh, really glad you. Uh, thank you. You said yes to this, man. Yeah, me too. It's great. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. Great right. to get to know you better. Likewise. All right. Perfect timing. I got to take a leak. Raised by Whoops Fake Radio Show. This is Glenn. Both Andrew and I are grateful for your time and attention. If you enjoyed that episode, we'd appreciate if you could tell your friends, family, or even a few strangers about the show. Additionally, you can leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you have a story to share or a guest to recommend, you can reach out to us via the website, which is raisedbywhoops.com. We're glad to have you with us. Thanks, and take care. Grab your coat and get your hat. Leave your worry on the doorstep. Just direct your feet to the sunny side of the street. Can't you hear a pit of pan? And that happy tune 
sweet On the sunny side of the street I used to walk in the shade 